Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Untitled Art Podcast, recorded live at the 12th edition of Untitled Art here in Miami Beach. My name is Anichka, and I work in exhibitor services and communications here with the fair. I'm delighted to be introducing today's panel discussion titled This Too is a Map, presented by Name Publications, one of our favorite cultural partners here in Miami. The discussion and its name stems from the exhibition and publication, This Too is a Map, produced on the occasion of the 12th Seoul Media City Biennial and co-published by Name Publications and the Seoul Museum of Fine Art. To introduce our esteemed panelists, we have Natalia Zuluaga, writer, director, curator, and co-director of Name Publications. As co-director, Zuluaga's focus is on marginalized art and design histories in the Americas. She was formerly editor of Dispatches, 2018, a limited-run online journal that featured essays triangulating climate struggles, territorial dispossession, and contemporary visual culture. And with that, Natalia, it is my pleasure to hand over the mic to you. Thank you so much, Anishka, and thank you all of you for coming. Um, I want to take a very quick moment to thank Untitled. They have been incredible supporters of our program, and um, it is nice to be here today. So I'm going to make this very quick, my contribution to this. I am very thankful to be here with two friends I, and collaborators. We've known each other for many years, Rachel and Kat on this occasion to kind of celebrate the launch of the book that um, just came out this year on the occasion of the Seoul Media Biennial that Rachel curated. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guests. And um, from there, also actually should tell you that Name Publications is a nonprofit press. We've been here since 2008. Um, over the course of our 15-year history, we've produced exhibitions and publications focused on histories anchored in the Americas. Um, we have a space out in West Miami where we continue to do what I think is our good work. <laughs> so... Here we go. Kathleen Ditzig is a curator at National Gallery Singapore. She received a PhD from Nanyang Technological University in 2023 with her dissertation titled Exhibiting Southeast Asia in the Cultural Cold War, Geopolitics of Regional Art Exhibitions, 1940 to 1980s. She obtained an MA from the Center of Curatorial Studies at Bard College. Inspired by her experience in cultural policy, Ditzik studies modern and contemporary Southeast Asian art in relation to global histories of capitalism, technology, and international relations. As a curator and a researcher, she is invested in advancing and interrogating art as an exceptional site and system of speaking to power. She is one of the contributors in our publication, which Rachel and Sofia Duron, who is not here but was an associate curator of the biennial, um, edited together. And Rachel is the artistic director of the 12th Seoul Media City Biennial. From 2019 to 2022, she was the curator of public practice at Back Bases Ver Actuel Kunst in Utrecht. I never got that right. Until 2019, she was the head curator and manager of the curatorial program at De Apple in Amsterdam. Rakes is an editor-at-large for Verso Books, a contributing editor for Infrasonica, a committee member of the New York Film Festival. With Lara Huertas Millan and Onyeka Iwe, she organizes the curatorial and research initiative and alternative ethnographies, Counter Encounters. Rix has taught recently for Zine Escola, HKU CASC, The New School, Harvard, and the New Center for Research and Practice. Thank you both for being here. Um, so the purpose of our conversation here today is to talk a little bit about some of the research and some of the thoughts behind the publication and the biennial. And so I'm going to kick it off with just a real starting question. You know, Rachel, I wonder if you can kind of bring us to the where we are moment of this book and of the biennial. Like, 
how this idea of alternate forms of mapping brought you to um, this work. Thanks, Natalia. Thanks, Untitled. Um, to go maybe a little bit further back and more broadly, the idea for this too is a map um, and I'd like, and the agency to kind of make it into this exhibition slash book and uh, podcast and musical and all kinds of yeah various various projects came initially for me out of a long-term research called Maps That Are Not Maps, uh, which kind of kicked off around the same time that I was last in Miami, actually, uh, when I was doing a residency with what is now called Oolite Arts, um, and did a show there called On Documentary Abstraction. And there's a kind of parallel interest with that in that like I am always obsessed with what gets to count as abstraction and what gets to count as the real and the ideologies behind those things and the power structures behind those things. And very much, so I've, I've, I've sort of done this investigation with time. I've done this uh, investigation with the ideas of a documentary and what's real and not in, do, in, in do, sort of docu documentary or documentation. And I've also been interested in the same question in terms of what is a map and what, like, what counts as a map and what doesn't and whether that's an ethnographic question, whether that's a colonial question, whether that's a question about like the just the the, the imposition of a sort of Western style map, or um, alternate ways of looking at maps in this moment when we have borders but also don't in several different kinds of ways. So we have we have maps of infrastructure that have nothing to do with borders and territories. We have maps of diaspora that are that utterly confuse the ideas of borders and territories and many, many other nuances of what sort of constitutes that. And I think rather than, for me, this is developed into a project that rather than focus on uh, keep, na like, keep nailing at this like history of colonial mapping, which is very important, but rather than only focus on that, think about what are the current maps of today and how do they give us the chance to relate to each other differently or in a say, to find different kinds of solidarities that are not border-based, that are not necessarily identitarian-based, and that understand that the violences and infrastructures that are in place uh, kind of ignore even the Western map, which seems to be dominant. And I just, um, even just as a star, I wanted to give a shout out to Augustina Woodgate, who's in the audience, um, who actually was, she's in the show. Uh, and also she was one of the people who was or one of the artists whose research was like always within my maps that are not maps thing because of her work with map erasure and the idea of making maps abstract and has now been developing that work into something utterly new and interesting and different. So just to start with that. So I wonder if we can actually use that opportunity to bring in some of the research that Kat has been doing or Kathleen has been doing. And I, I want to maybe ask about the temporal aspect of these maps that you all are thinking about, because it's not just about a situation or situatedness in place, but it's also a situatedness in time. And so I wonder, Kat, if you can maybe loop in to connect yourself and the work that you've done for this project through that. Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks, Natalia, for enabling me to be here and to talk about my research. Um, so... I, I think the contribution that I um, that I developed was actually developed with a uh, was developed with an Indonesian curator, um, Anissa Rahadin Tayas. And so, when we think about maps and we think about maps as constructs of knowledge, we and you're asking me about 
the concept of time in relation to map, their captures of specific sort of power structures within a time period. But also the way we construct time and the way we think of the future is also a way in which power structures and assumptions are imposed. So the research that we added to um, this too is a map is about South e a, a lesser known history of Southeast Asian futurism, which was actually part of um, a larger global history on futurology, which was future studies. And so that grows out of specifically the Cold War period um, it grows out of a network of cultural production that was funded um, through U.S. cultural aid, but also through intelligence networks. And the research that we've done is to uncover specifically um, what Southeast Asian intellectuals contributed to this network, which was the idea that if you wanted to map the future, you would need to code it through the past, essentially. And they believe that in Southeast Asia as a civilizational crossroads, which obviously is a, there's some problems even with that level of thinking, but we'll just take it as like, that's the logic that they were thinking at that time. Um, and that what you would find in Southeast Asia as a civilizational crossroads are, is artistic production, which would be the magic sauce of producing human and global futures. And this comes out specifically at a moment when um, large computer models were predicting the climate crisis. And so what they propose, and specifically what an Indonesian um, intellectual, Sutan Takdir Alijazan Bana, who's ac actually one of the grandfathers of what modern Indonesian language is. So he was a linguist, a polymath, um, who worked in many different fields, was that aesthetic experience was a way of rewiring the brain. And, re and if you rewired individual personality, you could rewire entire societies. And so he so believed that the crises that, the cr that we face, the complexity, the competition between nation states, the type of traditional cartography of the map, right, that put out borders that were means for competition, could be overcome with Southeast Asian art, making art in Southeast Asia and making art with traditional Southeast Asian dance, music, and so forth. So he actually set up an art center in Bali in 1973 that ran till 1994, commissioning artists, introducing scientists, politicians into the field to actually produce this art that would produce the better future. Yeah. How did they, like, what was the sort of calculation that they saw in sort of specifically artistic practices and actually generating that image of the, like, was it like an image formation kind of thing? It was an image formation and it was really the experience. And he writes about this as early as 1954, that when you are in an aesthetic experience of in an exhibition, you could travel through time, essentially. I mean, there is some poetics to this, which is also interesting because this is where it sort of resounds with actually... Rachel's research and why um, Anissa and I were so happy to be included in the book with, with the type of thinking that you were developing because this is completely abstract. You know, th this is a complete belief system that um, the exhibition and the encounter with the artwork would naturally change a person and it would take you outside linear time that you would be able to produce a personality that would make you less competitive, less capitalistic, 
and more inclined to actually work with someone else to solve like the climate crisis. This is a tall order for art, right? But he, so time in that sense for him um, was just a way of organizing the world or organ, it was just an organizing structure. And we needed to destabilize that organizing structure with the artwork experience. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, what were the impacts? I'm so curious, like, what the, yeah, what the results of this sort of experiment were. I mean, he ran this art center from 73, uh, he built it in 73, and there's a crazy story about this. Um, he actually gets the money to, build, to buy the land because he falls out of a plane flying back from a futurology conference in Rome. And so he sues the airline and gets money, and, the, and that, that money is actually the down payment for the land in um, right by Lake Batwa, which is one of the major lakes um, in ja um, in Bali, and it's a uh, and okay. So what comes out of it is that he builds the center, and then he makes, um, you know, he hosts young uh, traditional dancers and musicians there, who then collaborate with psychologists to make these huge plays that essentially plays that would run for days. And people would drop in and they'd have experiences. Um, this would lead even, you know, like there was cultural production here actually, essentially for 20 years. And it became a space that artists, contemporary artists that are still alive, like Zai Kuning in Singapore, would travel to, to just spend time with. So that they would enter this kind of space and it would be a collaborative space. So they, they made performances, they made music, but they also made paintings. And so there was a painting show in 1982. And the idea was that if society would see these paintings, this would change the way, you know, society was structured. Of course, that never happened. And there's a reason why this history actually isn't taught in Southeast Asia, in Indonesia, or in anywhere. And this is actually a lot of recovery archival work that we're doing. It's because he was actually on the wrong side of history. Um, in many ways, he was... He was sort of like the head of the Jakarta Arts Academy when he was doing this as a sort of independent project. And he was associated with the sort of um, political regime at the time, and of which actually there were student movements and so forth. So he was kind of seen like the old guard. So it's interesting that this really radical thinking that had international ballet dancers coming in to collaborate with Balinese traditional dancers really hasn't persisted in the historical record. So I'm answering your question, but also not. I'm telling you what was achieved, but also why this work now is kind of like a recovery work because it, it's also a failed project, right? It's an imagination for the future, but it's a failed project. It was, pos it, it, it was a success in the sense that it was an art center that persisted for so long, right? That pretty much, and was one that artists actually went to visit, but it's one that the history books have forgotten. But there's, there are several elements to this research in terms of like how, how these are, uh, well, no longer forgotten, but the, how you're recovering these uh, elements of precursor to what feel like more contemporary artistic movements. So not just, not just say like speculative futurisms, but cyber, you know, cybernetics and also even like socially engaged art or like how art, how art feeds into society and mentality and, and uh, political uh, political imaginations, right? right? 
And actually, that's interesting, Rachel, because when you commissioned this, what we ended up writing for you was something more historical than even focusing on that historic uh, Southeast Asian futurism moment of the 70s. We go back into the 30s, where this whole concept of living art in Bali, where one is actually art is part of society, but there's also a projection to the artistic paradise as a place you escape to, to produce modernist kind of images through extracting from a type of primitive imaginary that you can return to this balance and anyway. But yes, um, and I think if I, if I could just make a quick comment and how it reson um, resonates in a bit. I, I think there's a murkiness to when we talk about futurist, futurisms because there's always a sense of um, retrofuturisms. Futurisms are always built on the past, right? There's only a, re there's a type of reference. And so it's in the same way that, you know, the wrestling that you've done, Rachel, between what is abstraction and real and the slippages of what is considered abstract, right? Because if we look at ba um, Balinese traditional art and the concept of living art, that essentially art is used within ceremonial practices, art is lived with, art can be spiritually um, loaded, you know, have spiritually loaded, but also psychologically loaded enough to act upon its viewer, right? What is real and what's abstract in that framework? It, the slippages become so much more contextual to the relationship that's set up. Because a lot of the work that Tukdir commissioned are super realist paintings, you know, but his concepts are extremely abstract. So I want to bring this back now a little bit to the biennial and maybe Rachel, you can, I mean, part of what the project sort of contends with is like the big Western canon and Northern sort of like uh, hierarchies of the way in which both space is constructed and time is constructed. And I think, you know, in Kat's case, what I find really interesting is that, you know, even the idea of futurology is one that we assume is like, you know, a tradition of both Western literature, right? And like image making in some ways or like dominated. Perhaps it's not like the tradition, but it is certainly dominated. And so I'm wondering if you can maybe walk us a little bit through some of like the highlights even or like how you, some of the projects that were included in the biennial and even the publication perhaps um, did this work. And if I could add one extra drop in there, like how it was situated even within Seoul, right? So this idea of like both within a biennial model, thinking through these questions about place, um, et cetera. Sorry, it's a big one. Um, yeah, it's, it's a <laughs> super heterogeneous project. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I say that, I start off the book with that. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it should be and has to be, but that doesn't mean that it's not with, it's not without uh, a thesis and, and, and like a, maybe, a, a, I don't want to say rigorous, but like a, a serious um, thesis, as all my projects are <laughs> insisting on. Um, I think it, the, the idea was less to, um, to make, it was, it was, the idea was to make several, like several specific points to, hanging out together in very like we have works works that go back to the 70s very very contemporary new works works that are very very much dealing with um land and extraction and uh the ideas of like how how those things sort of ignore current mappingness how how like what what gets mined in one place gets sent gets sent across to another place and then return to that as as waste in this ways that has nothing to do with how we think of where things are from as well as where people are from and that this idea of fromness is not 
gone or absent any longer, but it's something that really needs revision and really like really needs sort of re-modification. And so a lot of the works deal with this kind of like just these, these different kinds of physical and ideological traversals. And like, so like, and what those, how those apply to how we think of space and also like focusing, you know, there's a, a huge ongoing and for the last 10 years trend in, in art and biennials to focus on sort of re-bringing indigenous practices or alternate what non-Western knowledges and stuff. And um, that's, that's there, but what I'm hoping we're doing with it is kind of similar to what Kat's saying to talk about like actually how things like modernism actually actually stunted the futurism of those past things and so like they were already futuristic they're not like quaint old things we should look at they're actually like they were actually like hello futuristic and we need to go back to them so the kinds of works in the show are like completely all over the place in terms of media in terms of like in terms of approaches and uh, new in conditions there's tons of performance uh, in terms of the connections to soul, the the primary, I mean, there's a lot of there are a lot of Korean artists in the show and Korean writers and um, and, and like the and workshops and engagements and it really ran as like after I left after the first two weeks it became a Korean biennial like everything was in everything was in Korean uh, all of the you know like everything happening in the streets was like and in the workshops were like all done all done through Korean so it went from international to local after that. Um, but a lot of the, the engagements between the city and, uh, either other artists or, um, sort of like homegrown ideas and other artists ideas were, came out of the commissions. Uh, and Sophie and I worked really rigorously on, on commissioning a, a couple of projects that, um, ended up as like co-performances. So, um, for instance, with another Argentine artist, uh, Mercedes Azapilicueta, um, she did a project that worked with, um, so she's from Buenos Aires, which historic, which has a huge Korean um, diasporic community and has since the 70s. And the main, um, the main industry there is uh, manufacturing clothes. And so uh, clothes often get, they often get produced in Korea still, but then manufactured in, in Buenos Aires. And those are, um, those are like the most kind of common kind of like, like cheaper street clothes that you can buy in Buenos Aires. And part of, so she made these new sculptures out of these clothes, but also um, integrated into that a, a brand new performance with a Pansori singer about women's labor and weaving that was in like, that was in Korean and that she had to like learn the dance and like, and like go along with this Korean sort of drumming um, traditional music. And there were several projects like that that were like, um, trying to go beyond the like, hey, not to be negative, but like, hey, artists come, you know, come be here for a month and like explore, explore the area and then do something in relation to it. But that are like actually like really, really trying to put together two people who would never or two entities that would never be together and see what we can produce from that. I think one of the things that I found also fascinating just from a distance was the kind of resonance or like the maybe communities that were created from all of the artists and the contributors to this project and so um, I was wondering how you thought about the book as a different space as an additional maybe alter space to this curatorial pr like proposal um, and Kat please like by all means I, you know 
you can also chime in to that too. Well, I'll, I'll say, yeah, that we can talk about the book and then we can also talk about this project yeah. that, uh, that Kat and I kind of worked on together or Kat commissioned me yes, please. after I commissioned Kat totally. um, <laughs> to, uh, to work for, for NGS because that's like another, somehow another step or another avenue too. Yeah. Um, so the nice thing about the book and I'm like, yeah, I'm not, it's not like a reinvention, like biennials had books, but like uh, the nice thing no, about the book No, this is the first one. <laughs> Um, the nice thing about the book was to be like, not just like, what did we, maybe what did we leave out? But like, you know, who are the, who are the people showing this stuff in, uh, showing these, uh, these ideas uh, that are in, that are in the biennial about non-territorial mapping and, and very extent, expanded versions of that. Uh, but through, through text, uh, through comics, uh, through different kinds of uh, visualizations that aren't necessarily exhibitionary, right? So it wasn't just like a reader. It, the idea was that like these are this is the this is the right form for that. So um, one of uh, one one favorite piece um, is from the artist Stephanie Jemison, who's also in the show uh, with a text called "Our Bodies Are Filled with Stones, We Call Them Bones," um, and it's a really like it's a really lovely, playful piece about the fact that like just you know this 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 simple like. It's, it's kind of in the title and kind of not because it's, you know, it's, 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 it's very playful about like how much, you know, how much we are, uh, we are, our, our, our memories, our, our bone memories, our, our mental memories are all integrated into earth memories and not in like a woo way, right? Not, in, but just like, like, how do we, how, where do we go from there? Um, so it was a nice experience to be able to like, show all of these not just footnotes but like these compliments uh with the book and to publish it with you guys and then um the next step after that was being able to release with cat this kind of project that then like kind of uh, not i wouldn't say it's a starting like, your voice isn't a starting point but it's like a parallel point and then i was able to write an essay um that focused more on it was kind of more of like a basic art historical essay on histories of mapping and abstraction um, and uh, sort of re, re, not just revalorizing non-Western mapping, but uh, understand, like starting to get into like the art markets of representation and what count and like, and artworks that have, that have like long fought with maps. Um, and we, yeah, we were able to put together this kind of very strange constellation of pieces that are, yeah. So maybe Kat can talk about that. Yeah, I was gonna that. say Kat, take it away, let us know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, this was the exciting thing. And this was why um, Anissa and I were so happy to be included in your project, because in a sense, you know, we were writing about this history that was lesser, lesser known. Right. And we felt like actively needed to be recovered from the archive. And what we realized when you when you and I first started talking and we met with Anissa was that actually this idea about what the map is, what pattern making means, what are the logics of power, right, and representation, how they come together, was actually at the heart of what we were doing with this futurism project. And um, and so what came out of that was that obviously you published our research, which finally saw the first light of day through Seoul Media City. Um, and then we worked on this thing called Perspectives for the National Gallery of Singapore, which is our online kind of magazine. Perspectives was, was kind of set up to be um, an opportunity for the public to get an insight into how museum work is done. Because for us, um, for the audience here, I think the National Gallery of Singapore might be something very foreign on the other side of the world. And maybe what I can explain is we're 
We're a museum that has one of the largest public collections of Southeast Asian art in the world. We, we are actually two former colonial buildings that have been combined together into one big museum. And um, we are essentially a modern art museum, but we also show contemporary works. And, and our mandate is really the writing of Singapore's national sort of modern art history, but also one for Southeast Asia. And we have a huge uh, archive, you know, we're a research or, um, institution, but we're one that really cares for the sort of larger history and one, a specific voice. But we're also keenly aware of our impact on the market because, you know, we open and then a couple months later at uh, Christie's, you suddenly see Nanyang art triple in price or something like that. So, you know, just to give you a sense of what kind of institution we are. But we're very much one that's committed to public and being engaging with the public. So Perspectives was always about giving us, you know, an insight into the, to the behind the scenes of what the museum does. And so we, what we ended up doing was really an intervention into that online magazine to say, this is what curatorial research kind of looks at. And even though we work in the museum and we're doing this research, actually it's resounding and we're part of this larger network of discourse, which is trying to grapple with what does representation, what is pattern making, what are these logics of abstract, you know, of dealing between um, abstract and real power structures play out, right? And so that's really what we did. So we had, um, I, I should say what we did was we did a mishmash of your research for Soul Media City, an interview with Viral, your essay, um, Sophia's essay, and then a mishmash of what Anissa and I were doing because the Southeast Asian Futurism Project unfolded actually also as a pedagogical program in um, Indonesia with uh, Connect ASEAN, also funded. Um, Connect ASEAN is a Korean, uh, is, a, is a fund, and ASEAN is the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. There's a longer history to that. But it's basically funded by Korea right now, this year. It's Connect. And they funded this pedagogical program that was based on this on this archival sort of research on Southeast Asian futurism, together with Jatawani Factory in Majalanka, um, Nusa CMYK in Bali, and Itabe, which is the Institute for Technology in Manung, so the university. And this was a small pedagogical program that was aimed and developed for cultural policymakers in ASEAN. So this was some of the first time that cultural policy, people who decided how cultural funding would work in Southeast Asia met. And um, they were sort of uh, introduced to this history, but also introduced to forward thinking futurist art projects happening throughout Indonesia. So what I'm saying is that we did this thing together and what we were essentially doing was registering um, the social life, but also the political life of some of the the ideas that we were exploring. Does that answer your question? <laughs> maybe I mean maybe you can just talk about the like the basic premise also, like just the yeah. intro to the you know like the tagline of the of yeah. the overall yeah, editorial. Yeah. So, which I'm trying very hard to remember right now. <laughs> um, it was it was called Bumantari, or based on Bumantara, which was. Um, uh, Sutantakya Ali Jazanbana's concept for renaming Southeast Asia. It translates literally to the land in between. Now, he meant that geographically, but when you think about the land in between, you can think about the concept of time with the future in the sense that the future is constantly produced. Um, the future as a concept 
consistently produces the present because of the way that projections are happening and how we make decisions in the present. And this is something that is we talk about within algorithmic thinking for in the contemporary world, but it's actually something that informs modernism as well, you know, and, and was um, inherent logic even within um, uh, Takdir's work. And so anyway, um, that, wait, can yeah, so that was essentially the intro, was that, you know, essentially the work that we were doing was dealing with this idea of, you know, this expanded idea of the lands in between, but this lands in between was bringing together um, this expanded idea of the map and the wrestling between abstraction and essentially what was the real. Yeah, and also, I mean, to... The essay that I wrote for it, which is just really just an introduction to what will be more essays, and um, I'm, I'm starting to try to begin to marry ideas of time and space, as space is time, um, also trying to do that, but without reverting to the ethnographic or the, you know, or the, or, or the ancient. Yeah. Difficult challenge. What's that? No, difficult challenge, right? You yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, what's a, what are, how, how are, what are contemporary ways of thinking of space and time and time is space? Um, putting aside, say, or under, uh, putting aside, say, quantum physics. Putting aside, say, um, necessary like the colonial. These colonial histories are a part of it. So one of like the main sources for the essay um, that I wrote is this book called CM CM Unmapped. CM is it CM Mapped or Unmapped? Um, which is a history of surveying in in Thailand, and it explains how like the the elements of surveying and mapping what what is now what is now Thailand actually completely took away the an entire like like the a, a spiritual and like spiritual aesthetic mental conception of the land which like basically entirely changed thinking in this in this way that you're talking about that like aesthetics literally changed thinking so just the adding just the adaptation of the grid took away an identification with the land where it was not about it, it wasn't about spatial measurement it was about like what's like where are the gods and what are the gods doing and how important they are and there are millions of examples like this and um so i'm trying to like that comes from of course this is semi-ethnographic or a semi-colonial history and i'm trying to find ways to like re-theorize this stuff without necessarily just going like these are these are the examples and inheritances but what are the how, how can we deal with this contempt with without saying like we want to go back to that, or, you know, or like, like in, a, in, a, in a contemporary manner. Um, I also talk about the work, uh, One and Several Tigers, the, the Hotsu uh, work, which is about um, this German print uh, from, from these, uh, these German surveys of what's now Singapore, uh, which shows a, like, which actually is part of the NGS collection, um, which is it's, it's, it's a moment where there's um, the surveyors are being attacked by a, ti by, by a tiger and um, the idea and like they're, they're actually attacking the, the machinery that they're using to do the survey. And it's this kind of like, like hearkening back. So he recreates the print and it's this hearkening back to this moment of being like, because at that time, tigers were such an important part of living with like they were such an important part of how things were mapped and, and like life, life with the land. And then the imposition of these like of just a simple grid change not just, you know, not just how life is parceled out, but actually like kind of everything within us or within, you know, within people. Before I turn it over and maybe there's some questions from our audience, I actually, maybe I wanted to ask one last broad question, which is like, 
you know, why do you think in both both of your research marries a lot of interest between like the intelligence community and governments and politics and things out? They're not outside, but let's just say outside of the field of art. I'm wondering if you can talk both of you a little bit about like why art, right? Like why why art or artistic practice is this like navigating point for these forms of let's say alter mapping or alter ways of thinking um, that have you know that emerge all over the world, but yeah. I was wondering if you can maybe like return it back to that. Uh, yeah. I mean, for, for me, on one hand, it, it always goes back to because like, even though it's a different conversation about what is abstract and real in art, it's still a super applicable conversation to what's abstract and real in all kinds of other forms of life, right? So what counts? So like we, it's, it's a super commonality to think of like linear time as an abstraction or mapping as an abstraction. But that's like that's an abstraction in like a in like a troubling way where like abstract art as we know it in the kind of white way is like a nice abstraction. And so like what are the things that like what are the things that get to be abstract and what are the things that get to be real and like invest investigating that and those totally go like those kind of conversations are they're not the same but they're super parallel and I think really complementary. So that's one. Um Hmm. <laughs> I, I have I have a big answer for that. Great, <laughs> but this is why okay. we brought you and, and and big big and vague. But um, you know, one of the, I just wanted to bounce off something that Rachel said before I answer your question. And you know, as you were speaking, Rachel, about you know, uh, Western frameworks, and one of the things that we don't ever t really we do, but we don't dwell on this so much because it doesn't fit conveniently into history. Um, into some of our art histories is actually how, where, are, what are the genealogies of art schools and art educations? And, um, you know, outside Western, I think outside the domain of Western art history, which sometimes had, um, which is what, you know, someone like me who's Singaporean essentially like was educated in, you know, because I wanted to enter the art industry and then that was, I would come to the West, right? I'd come to the US to have my education and so forth. But when you're doing archival research in Singapore or Southeast Asia, you start to realize how much the untrained artist is actually a very dominant figure within our art history. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is also that there are genealogies of art education that are not tied to Western art education per se. Or um, secondly, complicatedly entangled with Western art education. And as you were speaking, Rachel, I was actually thinking about what art education was like during the Japanese occupation in Southeast Asia, which a lot of people don't realize the, the birth of a lot of our modern art histories are tied to art schools and art programs that were produced during occupation. Um, and a lot of the sort of modernists that we use or we present, you know, were teaching within Japanese occupation art schools and so forth. So, and this is important also for, let's say, Southeast Asian idea or non-Western ideas of art, because when the art schools were sort of being developed in Indonesia or, or the art programs being developed in the Philippines during occupation, there was this idea of the greater um, East Asia prosperity sphere. And this was one of the early ideas for like a South, I wouldn't say South-South per se, but it was really an Asian concept of a non-Western cultural empire that was tied to economics right and so the idea was that you would be produced um, part of the Japanese um, occupation era education system was the revival of traditional cultures because we needed an Asian aesthetic right 
So I just wanted to throw that out there because I think also there are these histories that we don't remember so much now, even within our national histories, because they're inconvenient, right? But there were, but these projects of writing sort of non-Western ties have also been, and I'm going back to your question that now. I was going to say, I was like, you're not, a, you, I don't know if you knew it, but you were answering the question. I am answering question. the question yeah. about where politics lies. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, the ideologies and how we frame art are um, the easiest ways in which we can speak to politics. And I mean, this goes to my own practice, like why I choose as a curator to force my way into the space of policymakers or why um, when I work with policymakers, I'm like, we have to talk about the role of the artists. I mean, I'm working on projects sometimes now where when we're talking about how do we talk about licensing rights for artists because of new technologies, we're actually not really talking about artists licensing rights. We're talking about individual licensing rights when it comes to our data you know so what I'm saying about art and to answer your question now given I did the historical thing <laughs> even within the contemporary sphere I think there's a social mobility in art and there is um, an entangled belief in relation um, to being modern to being progressive to having to having certain idealized states of what we want to be that get carried in the ide ideology of art. And I think we're still very much ideological about our engagement with art. Um, and because of that, you can uh, smuggle in a lot of other ideas in art. Thank you. Um, before we close this out, I want to know if anybody here in the audience has any questions that they want to pop up. No? no? All right. I think that it's it. Do you have any more? No, go. You can oh, go. I want to keep talking about smuggling, but it's a yeah. Go it's a much, it's a much have, can we can we steal more time? Yeah, let's do it. Let's steal more time. Come on, let's talk more smuggling. Yeah, no, I guess I. <laughs> no, I want to. I want to. I want to press more on. You know, like there's this Irogov text about curatorial smuggling that I think about a lot. Yeah. I, I go back and forth on whether yeah, yeah my how I feel it's 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 relevant now, but it, like at least the the basic proposition of it. Um, yeah, I, I wonder if, I guess I want to press on that a little bit because I wonder if smuggling is what it is, like, is it smuggling or is it to go back to, you know, to, to return again to like this just basic precept that like art actually is, you know, like art's not separate to be super basic about it. Like, is it smuggling or is it just like re, re like remembering that that the that the aesthetic is is actually our is actually us and is that and it is already politics. I guess. Okay, it's smuggling in certain jurisdictions and it's not in others, right? And I think this is something that we don't really um, think about so much in the art world because we think we live in an international art world and the rules are the same everywhere. They're not. <laughs> you know, not every constitution that you work in, um, you know, not every nation's constitution, for example, keeps freedom of speech. And I'm not talking about censorship, but the minute you don't have freedom of speech in your constitution, there are no political protections for the artwork, right? And so some of the things that you can do strategically with the artwork don't work in some countries and then they work in others. So some cases it's smuggling, some cases not. I, um, I like the word smuggling only because um, sometimes I think that when an when an abstract artwork isn't understood and it allows for multiple conversations, then it allows for different things to kind of happen. And it allows, and I've seen it happen where it's really interesting where you can have a diplomat come to something 
and sit and talk to an artist and wrestle with an idea that maybe they wouldn't feel that they could speak about before because of the position they have. But somehow, because they're having this aesthetic experience, they can kind of open that up. Um, and it's interesting, actually, when, in, when artists start to interview diplomats, the kinds of questions, you know, because sometimes diplomats and even policymakers don't take art seriously and then don't take the artist seriously, which is fine. But then because you get actually more honest interviews, you know, so this is what I'm kind of getting at. And, and I don't smuggling isn't always right, but I think in certain contexts the word works. But I think we have a thing in curatorial discourse where we're like, we put a, we, we, you know, we, we use these words sometimes outside of the context in which they really should be used. Yeah. Yeah. Just two quick reflections on that and then I'll, 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 I'll piece out. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, the, the first being that like, as many, many know, like the history of even the, like, even the modern history of abstract art, even the modern Western history of abstract art is also a history of smuggling like it's also a history of like using using shapes and colors and simplicity to not say the thing that needs to be said intentionally to, in order to say it if that's like a yeah so like to these so histories of resistance from you know like believe to like black square or all these you know all these things on to be like the absence of figuration or the absence of representation is a is in a, like a, a total politics right um and then <laughs> You wanna, I'll, 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 I, yeah. I have something because you mentioned a few things about quantum which you went by and then you talked about the future coming uh, from the present and uh, map as a, as a tool which was actually generally how it came to be, a tool for navigation. And in 2019, the event horizon image came to be. And this also is a cooperation between nations. I believe is how many uh, telescopes came together, uh, maybe seven, right? Something like this, I don't remember the amount. But it's a cooperation of the, a planetary cooperation to look into this phenomena that actually folds time and space. And the image is quite an abstraction. It's a void. Uh, so. Right, and you are bringing the black square, so I, I just... It's a highly mediated image, too, right? Like, it's not a direct image, but it's also a mediated, like, image that happens because of technologies. You heard it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure where, where this leads, but it's just, like, also is the map of the future, in a way, because it is that space that is a dead, is, is a star that died all these years ago, but yet, no, it's... You know, I, as you're talking, Argesina, I was just thinking, you know, we think about the map as a tool, right? And we think sometimes about forms of representation or forms of abstraction. I mean, I feel like there are histories of cycles of these politics, right? Of when... Um, there's this cyclical kind of discursive engagement that kind of shifts of when abstraction is part of the language of power, when abstraction is part of the language of resistance, and, and it changes based on context, and, and that's exciting, but because every time you look at an image, it carries the weight of all those histories and those layers, and you're unpacking it. So when I'm thinking about the image that you're talking about in the sense of like the end of time almost, 
right? I wonder sometimes whether, you know, some of these things are tools, but they're also crutches for us, you know? And sometimes maybe we want to talk about what the meaning of that image as a crutch, like why is that now, that highly mediated image, what does that actually tell us about our present and the politics of that? Sure, it takes seven countries to get together. We're facing a climate crisis, but that was cooperation at a different level. That was the first thing I thought of when it happened. I was like, it is a very, uh, it is an image to hold on to, but a very convenient collaboration to accomplish among seven countries that otherwise could not probably get anything through. So, I mean, to your point, I think about a lot of images that are generated about space in that way, right? I mean, there is a kind of preoccupation with the temporality of space as being both distantly in the past and unattainable. Um, But also the preoccupation around what these things are is both a combination of human curiosity. I won't deny that, right? But it also the way in which it directs our own attentions toward those images is a form of like forcing a navigation of our thoughts and ideas through that too. So, okay, my second point, and then that's it, um, <laughs> was just that um, to just to riff on on the cat's last point about about smuggling and and, and art art versus di- diplomacy or di- uh, and real politics. Uh, my experience in Korea and also visiting uh, it, seeing the scene in Taipei recently, um, and there are many other examples of this. Is like how like. It's not just a return to, like, say, documenta politics or post-World War II politics of art as, as, as politics, but, like, it's, like, contemporary art is full-on state-making right now in many places and, like, such an interesting, uh, like, collaboration where it's, like, very, very clear how, like, this is, this is just as much as K-pop or K-drama or all of these other kind of cultural, um, you know, these becoming, like, you know, global cultural phenomena like contemporary arts up in there too. And a really, um, my experience in Korea, it was that in like a really like upfront way, more so than like, you know, a Euro- like a European fund that's, that's like, yes, we're, we're bringing our ambassadors. It's like, oh wait, we're gonna like, we're gonna build states out of this. We're gonna be a competitor out of this. And I think that that's like, like this is, this is happening. This is going off now. I'm only gonna leave it there because that is an incredible conversation that I know Kat also has a lot of interest in, especially with the idea of the biennials and the pavilions, et cetera. But it's a big, thank you, Rachel. That was great because that was a big topic that was like, I actually have to end it there. Um, I want to thank you both for your time and for this lovely conversation. There's three free books on the table for anyone who wants a copy of this lovely book uh, that we made. And for more information on what we do, it's namepublications.org. Thank you.